0: Sense and Sensibility, Chapter 26, Continued. With such encouragement as this, she was dismissed on the present occasion to her brother's carriage, which they were ready to enter five minutes after it stopped at the door, a punctuality not very agreeable to their sister-in-law, who had preceded them to the house of her acquaintance, and was there hoping for some delay on their part that might inconvenience either herself or her coach of the evening were not very remarkable. The party, like other musical parties, comprehended a great many people who had real taste for the performance, and a great many more who had none at all, and the performers themselves were, as usual, in their own estimation, and that of their immediate friends, the first private performers in England. As Eleanor was neither musical nor affecting to be so, she made no scruple of turning away her eyes from the grand pianoforte whenever it suited her, and restrained even by the presence of a harp and a violoncello would fix them at pleasure on any other object in the room. It was one of these excursive glances she perceived among a group of young men, that very he who had given them a lecture on toothpick cases at Gray's. She perceived him soon afterwards looking at herself and speaking familiarly to her brother, and had just determined to find out his name from the latter when they both came towards her, and Mr. Dashwood introduced him as Mr. Robert Ferris. He addressed her with easy civility, and twisted his head into a bow which assured her, as plainly as words could have done, that he was exactly the coxcomb she had heard him described to be to Lucy. Happy had it been for her if her regard for Edward had depended less on his own merit than on the merit of his nearest relations, for then his brother's bow must have given the finishing stroke to what the ill-humour of his mother and sister would have begun. But she wondered at the difference of the two young men. She did not find that the emptiness and conceit of the one put her at all out of charity with the modesty and the worth of the other. Why, they were different.' Robert exclaimed to herself in the course of a quarter of an hour's conversation for talking of his brother and lamenting the extreme gauchiere which he really believed kept him from mixing improper society. He candidly and generously attributed much less to any natural deficiency than to a misfortune of private education, while he himself, though probably without any particular, any material superiority by nature, merely from the advantage of a public school, was well fitted to mix in the world as any other man. Upon my soul, he added, I believe it is nothing more, and so I often tell my mother when she is grieving about it. My dear madam, I always say to her, you must make yourself easy. The evil is now irremediable and has been entirely your own doing. Why would you be persuaded by my uncle, Sir Robert, against your own judgment to place Edward under private tuition, the most critical time of his life, if you had only sent him to West of sending him to Mr. Pratt's, all this would have been prevented. This is the way in which I will consider the matter, and my mother is perfectly convinced of her error. Eleanor would not oppose his opinion, because whatever might be her general estimation of the advantage of a public school, she could not think of Edward's abode in Mr. Pratt's family with any satisfaction. You reside in Devonshire, I think, was his next observation, in a cottage near Dallish, Eleanor set him right as to its situation, and it seemed rather surprising to him that anyone could live in Devonshire without living near Dawlish. He bestowed his hearty approbation, however, on their species of a house. For my own part, said he, I am excessively fond of a cottage. There's always so much comfort, so much elegance about them. And I protest, if I had any money to spare, I should buy a little land and build one myself, within a short distance of London, where I might drive myself down at any time and collect a few friends about me and be happy. I advise everybody who is going to build to build a cottage. My friend Lord Cortland came to me the other day on purpose to ask my advice and laid before me three different plans— "'On Baomis, I was to decide on the best of them. "'My dear Cortland,' said I, immediately throwing them all into the fire, "'do not adopt either of them, but by all means build the cottage, "'and that, I fancy, will be the end of it. "'Some people imagine that there can be no accommodations, "'no space in a cottage, but this is all a mistake. "'It was last month that my friend Elliot's, near Danford. "'Lady Elliot wished to give a dance. "'But how can it be done?' said she. My dear Ferris, do tell me how is it to be managed? There is not a room in this cottage that will hold ten couple. And where can supper be? I immediately saw that there could be no difficulty in it, so I said, My dear Lady Elliot, do not be uneasy. The dining parlor will admit eighteen couple with ease. Card tables may be placed in the drawing room. And the library may be open for tea and other refreshments. And let the supper be set out in the salon. Lady Elliot was delighted with the thought. We measured the dining room and found it would hold exactly 18 people, and the affair was arranged precisely after my plan, so that, in fact, you see, if people do but know how to set about it, every comfort may be well enjoyed in a cottage, as in the most spacious dwelling. Eleanor agreed to all, for she did not think he deserved the compliment of rational opposition." As John Dashwood had no more pleasure in music than his eldest sister, his mind was equally at liberty to fix on anything else, and a thought struck him during the evening, which he communicated to his wife for her approbation when they got home. The consideration of Mrs. Denison's mistake in supposing his sisters, their guests, had suggested the propriety of their being really invited to become such, while Mrs. Jennings' engagements kept her from home. The expense would be nothing, the inconvenience not more, and it was altogether an attention, which the delicacy of his conscience pointed out, to be requisite to its complete enfranchisement from his promise to his father. Fanny was startled at the proposal. I do not see how it can be done, said she, without affronting Lady Middleton, for they spend every day with her. Otherwise I shall be exceedingly glad to do it. You know I am always ready to pay them any attention in my power, as my taking them out this evening shows, but they are Lady Middleton's visitors. How can I ask them away from her? Her husband, but with great humility, did not see the force of her objection. They had already spent a week in this manner in Conduit Street, and Lady Middleton could not be displeased at their giving the same number of days to such near relations. Fanny paused a moment, and then with fresh vigor said, My love, I would ask them with all my heart if it was in my power, but I had just settled within myself to ask the Miss Steeles to spend a few days with us. They are very well-behaved, good, kind girls, and I think the attention is due them, as their uncle did so very well by Edward. We can ask your sisters some other year, you know, but the Miss Steeles may not be in, more, in town anymore. I'm sure you will like them, indeed. You do like them, you know, very much already, and so does my mother, and they are such favorites with Harry. Mr. Dashwood was convinced. He saw the necessity of inviting the Miss Steeles immediately, and his conscience was pacified by the resolution of inviting his sisters another year. At the same time, however, slyly suspecting that another year would make the invitation needless by bringing Eleanor to town as Colonel Brandon's wife and Marianne as their visitor. Fanny rejoiced in her escape, proud of the ready wit that had procured procured it, wrote the next morning to Lucy to request her company and her sisters, for some days in Harley Street as soon as Lady Middleton could spare them. This was enough to make Lucy really and reasonably happy. Mrs. Dashwood seemed actually working for her, herself, cherished all her hopes and promoting all her views. Such an opportunity of being with Edward and his family was, above all things, the most material to her interest and such an invitation, the most gratifying to her feelings. It was an advantage that could not be too gratefully acknowledged, nor too speedily made use of, and the visit to Lady Middleton's, which had not before had any precise limits, was instantly discovered to have been meant to end in two days' time. When the note was shown to Eleanor, as it was within ten minutes after its arrival, it gave her for the first time some share in the expectations of Lucy, for such a mark of uncommon kindness— vouchsafe on short an acquaintance seemed to declare that the good will toward her arose from something more than malice against herself and might be brought by the time an address to everything Lucy wished. Her flattery had already subdued the pride of Lady Middleton and made an entry into the close heart of Mrs. John Dashwood. And these were effects that laid open the probability of greater. The Miss Steeles removed to Harley Street. And all that reached Eleanor of their influence there strengthened her expectation of the event. Sir John, who called on them more than once, brought home such accounts of the favor that they were in, as must be universally striking. Mrs. Dashwood had never been so pleased with any young woman in her life, and she as she was with them, had given each of them a needlebook made by some immigrant, and called Lucy by her Christian name, and did not know whether she should able ever be able to part with them. CHAPTER thirty seven Mrs. Palmer was so well at the end of a fortnight that her mother felt it no longer necessary to give up the whole of her time to her, and contenting herself with visiting her once or twice a day, returned from that period to her own home and her own habits in which she found the Miss Dashwoods very ready to reassume their former share. About the third or fourth morning of their being thus resettled in Berkeley Street, Mrs. Jennings, on returning home from her ordinary visit to Mrs. Palmer, entered the drawing room where Eleanor was sitting by herself, with an air of such hurrying importance as prepared her to hear something wonderful, and giving her time only to form that idea, began directly to justify it by saying, Lord, Miss Dashwood, have you heard the news? No, ma'am, what is it? Something so strange, but you shall hear it all. When I got to Mrs.... Palmer's I found Charlotte quite in a fuss about the child she was sure it was very ill it cried and fretted and was all over pimples so I looked at it directly and lord my dear says I it is nothing in the world but the red gum and the nurse said to just the same but Charlotte would not be satisfied so Mr. Danovan was sent for and luckily he happened to be just come in from Harley Street so he stepped over directly and as soon as ever he saw the child he said just as we did that it was nothing in the world but the red gum And then Charlotte was easy. And so just as he was going away again, it came into my head. I am sure I do not know how it happened to think of it, but it came into my head to ask him if there was any news. So upon that, he smirked and simpered and looked grave and seemed to know something or other and said, At last, he said in a whisper, for fear of any unpleasant report should reach the young ladies under your care as to their sister's indisposition. I think it inadvisable to say that I believe there is no great reason for alarm. I hope Mrs. Dashwood will do very well. What? Is Fanny ill? That is exactly what I said, my dear. Lord, says I... Is Miss Dashwood ill? So then it all came out, and the long and the short of the matter, by all I can learn, seems to be this. Mr. Edward Ferris, the very young man I used to joke with you about, but however as it turns out, I am monstrous glad that there never was anything in it, Mr. Edward Ferris, it seems, has been engaged above this 12th month to my cousin Lucy. There's for you, my dear. "'And not a creature knowing a syllable of the matter, except Nancy. "'Could you have believed such a thing possible? "'There is no great wonder in their liking one another, "'but that matter should be brought forward between them, "'and nobody suspect it. "'That is strange. "'I never happened to see them together, "'or I am sure I should have found it out directly. "'Well, and so this was kept a great secret for fear Mrs. Ferris, "'and neither she or your brother or sister suspected a word of the matter "'till this very morning.' Poor Nancy, who you know is a well-meaning creature, but no conjurer, popped it all out. Lord, thinks she to herself, they are also fond of Lucy to be sure that they will make no difficulty about it. And so away she went your sister, who was sitting all alone at her carpet work, little suspecting what would to come. For she had just been saying to your brother only five minutes before that she thought to make a match between Edward and some Lord's daughter or the other. I forgot who. So you can think what it a- Blow it was to all of her vanity and pride. She fell into violent hysterics immediately with such screams as reached your brother's ears as he was sitting in his own dressing room downstairs, thinking about writing a letter to his steward in the country. So up he flew directly and a terrible scene took place for Lucy was come to them by that time. Little dreaming of what was going on. "'Poor soul, I pity her, and I must say I think she was very used hardly, for your sister scolded like any fury, and soon drove her into a fainting fit. "'Nancy, she fell upon her knees and cried bitterly, and your brother, he walked about the room and said he did not know what to do. "'Mrs. Dashwood declared they should not stay a minute longer in this house, and your brother was forced to go upon his knees, too, to persuade her to let them stay till they had packed up their clothes.' Then she fell into hysterics again, and he was so frightened that he would send for Mr. Donovan, and Mr. Donovan found the house all up in this uproar. The carriage was at the door, ready to take away my poor cousins, and they were just stepping out in it as he came off. Poor Lucy in such a condition, he says, she could hardly walk, and Nancy, she was almost as bad. I declare I have no patience with your sister, and I hope with all my heart it will be a match in spite of her. Lord, what a taking poor Edward will be when he hears of it, to have his love used so scornfully, and they say he is a monstrous fond of her, as he will may be. I should not wonder if he should be in the greatest of passion, and Mr. Donovan thinks the same. He and I had a great deal of talk about it, and the best of it all is that he has gone back to Harley Street, that may be within his call of Mrs. Ferris is told of it, for she was sent for as soon as ever my cousin left to the house, for your sister was sure she would be in hysterics too.' And so she may, for what I care. I have no pity for either of them. I have no notion of people's making such a to-do about money and greatness. There is no reason on earth why Mr. Edward and Miss Lucy should not marry. For I am sure Mrs. Ferris may afford to do her very well by her son. And though Lucy has next to nothing herself, she knows better than anybody how to make the most of everything. And I dare say if Mrs. Ferris would only allow him 500 a year, she would make as good an appearance with it as anybody else with eight. Lord, how snug they might live! In such another as your cottage or a little bigger with two maids and two men, and I believe I could help them to a housemaid, for my Betty has a sister out of place that would fit them exactly. Here Mrs. Jennings ceased, and as Eleanor had time enough to collect her thoughts, she was able to give such an answer and make such observations as the subject might naturally be supposed to produce.' Happy to find that she was not expect- suspected of any extraordinary interest in it, that Mrs. Jennings, as she had not of late hoped might be the case, had ceased to imagine her all attached to Edward, and happy above all the rest in the absence of Marianne, she felt very well able to speak of the affair without embarrassment and to give her judgment as she believed with impartiality on the conduct of everyone concerned on it. She could hardly determine what her own expectation of its event really was, though she earnestly tried to drive away the notion of it being possible to end otherwise at last than in the marriage of Edward and Lucy. What Mrs. Ferris would do, would say and do, though, there could still not be a doubt of in this nature. She was anxious to hear, and still more anxious to know how Edward would conduct himself. For him, she felt much compassion, for Lucy, very little, and it cost her some pains to produce that little, for the rest of the party, none at all. As Mrs. Jennings could talk on no other subject, Eleanor soon saw the necessity of preparing Mary Ann's for its discussion. No time was to be lost in undeceiving her and making her acquainted with the real truth and in endeavoring to bring her to hear it talked of by others without betraying that she felt any uneasiness for her sister or any resentment against Edward. Eleanor's office was a painful one. She was going to remove what she really believed to be her sister's chief consolation, to give such particulars of Edward as she feared would ruin him forever in her good opinion, and to make Marianne, by resemblance in their situations, which to her fancy would seem strong, feel all other own disappointment all over again. But unwelcome as such a task might be, it was necessary to be done, and Eleanor therefore hastened to perform it." She was very far from wishing to dwell on her own feelings or to represent herself as such suffering much, any otherwise than as the self-command she had practiced since her first knowledge of Edward's engagement might suggest a hint of what was practicable to Marianne. Her narration was clear and simple, and though it could not be given without emotion, it was not accompanied by violent agitation nor impetuous grief. That belonged rather to the hearer, for Marianne listened with horror and cried excessively, Eleanor was to be the comforter of others in her own distresses, no less than in theirs, and in all the comfort that can be given by assurances of her own composure of mind and very earnest vindication of Edward from every charge but of imprudence was readily offered. But Marianne for some time would give credit to neither. Edward seemed a second Willoughby and acknowledging as Eleanor did that she had loved him most sincerely, she could feel less than herself. As for Lucy Steele, she considered her so totally unamiable, so absolutely incapable of attaching a sensible man that she could not be persuaded at first to believe and afterwards to pardon any former affection of Edward for her. She could not even admit it to have been natural, and Eleanor left her to be convinced that it was so by that which only could convince her, a better knowledge of mankind. Her first communication had reached no farther than to state the fact of the engagement and the length of time it had existed. Marianne's feelings had all regularity of detail. And for some time, all that could be done was to soothe her distress, lessen her alarms, and combat her resentment. The first question on her side, which led to farther particulars, was, how long has this been known to you, Eleanor? Has he written to you? I have known about it these four months. When Lucy first came to Barton Park last November, she told me in confidence of her engagement. At these words, Marianne's eyes expressed the astonishment which her lips could not utter. After a pause of wonder, she exclaimed, Four months! Have you known of this four months? Eleanor confirmed it. What, while attending me in all my misery, and this has been on your heart, and I've reproached you for being happy? It was not fit that you should know how much I was for the reverse. Four months, cried Marianne again, so calm, so cheerful. How have you been supported? By feeling that I was doing my duty. My promise to Lucy obliged me to be secret. I owed it to her, therefore, to avoid giving any hint of the truth, and I owed it to my family and friends not to create in them a solitude about me, which could not be in my power to satisfy. Marianne seemed struck. "'I have often wished to undeceive yourself and my mother,' added Eleanor, "'and once or twice I have attempted it, but without betraying my trust. I could never have convinced you. Four months, and yet you loved him!' Yes, but I did not love only him, and while the comfort of others was dear to me, I was glad to spare them for knowing how much I felt. Now I can think and speak of it with little emotion. I would not have you suffer on my account, for I assure you I no longer suffer materially myself. I have many things to support me. I am not conscious of having provoked the disappointment by any imprudence of my own, and I have borne it as much as possible without spreading it farther. I acquit Edward of all essential misconduct. I wish him very happy, and I am so sure of his always doing his duty, that though he may harbor some regret, in the end he must become so. Lucy does not want sense, and that is the foundation on which every good thing must be built. And after all, Marianne, after all, this is bewitching in the idea of a single and constant attachment, and all that can be said of one's happiness depending entirely on one particular person. It is not meant, it is not fit, it is not possible that it should be so. Edward will marry Lucy, he will marry a woman superior in person and understanding to half her sex, and time and habit will teach him to forget that he ever thought another superior to her. If such is your way of thinking, said Marianne, if the loss of what is most valued is so easily to be made up by something else, your resolution, your self-command are perhaps a little less to be wondered at, they are brought more within my comprehension." I understand you. You do not suppose that I have ever felt much. For four months, Marianne, I have had all of this hanging on my mind without being at liberty to speak of it to a single creature, knowing that it would make you and my mother most unhappy whenever it was explained to you. Yet I was unable to prepare you for it in the least. It was told to me, it was in a manner forced on me by the very person herself whose prior engagement ruined all my prospects and told me, as I thought, with triumph, This person's suspicions, therefore, I have had to oppose by endeavoring to appear indifferent, where I have often been most deeply interested. And it has not been only once. I have had her hopes and exultation to listen to again and again. I have known myself to be divided from Edward forever without hearing one circumstance that could make me less desire the connection. Nothing has proved him unworthy, nor anything declared him indifferent to me. I have had this to contend with against the kindness of his sister and the insolence of his mother, and I have suffered the punishment of an attachment... Without enjoying its advantages, and all this has been going on at a time when, as you well know, it has not been my own unhappiness. If you can think of me capable of ever feeling, surely you may suppose that I have suffered. Now, the composure of mind which which I have brought myself at present to consider the matter, the consolation that I have been willing to admit, have been the effect of constant and painful exertion. They did not spring up themselves. They did not occur to relieve any spirits at first. No, Marianne, then if I had not been bound to silence, perhaps nothing could have kept me entirely, not even what I owed to my dearest friends from openly showing what I was very unhappy. Marianne was quite subdued. Oh, Eleanor, she cried, you have made me hate myself forever. How barbarous I have been to you, you who have been my only comfort, who have borne with me in all my misery, who have seemed to be only suffering for me. Is this my gratitude? Is this the only return I can make you? Because your merit cries upon myself, I have been trying to do it away. The tenderest caresses followed this confession. In such a frame of mind as she was in now, Eleanor had no difficulty in obtaining from her whatever promise she required. And at her request, Marianne engaged never to speak of the affair to anyone with the least appearance of bitterness, to meet Lucy without betraying the smallest increase of dislike to her, and even to see Edward himself if chance should bring them together without any diminution of her usual cordiality. These were great concessions, but where Marianne felt she had injured, no reparation could be too much for her to make. She performed her promise of being discreet to admiration. She attended to all that Mrs. Jennings had to say upon the subject, and with an unchanging complexion, dissented from her in nothing, and was heard three times to say, yes, ma'am, she listened to her praise of Lucy with only moving from one chair to another, and when Mrs. Jennings talked of Edward's affection, it cost her only a spasm in her throat. Such advances toward heroism in her sister made Eleanor feel equal to anything herself. The next morning brought a farther trial of it in a visit from their brother who came with a most serious aspect to talk over the dreadful affair and bring them news of his wife. You have heard, I suppose he said with a great solemnity. Sol- solemnity as soon as he was seated of the very shocking discovery that took place under our roof yesterday they all looked their assent and it seemed too awful a moment for speech your sister he continued has suffered dreadfully mrs ferris too in short it has been a scene of such complicated distress but i hope that the storm may be weathered without our being of any any of us quite overcome poor fanny she was in hysterics all yesterday but i would not alarm you too much Donovan says there is nothing materially to be apprehended. Her constitution is a good one, and her resolution equal to anything. She is borne it all with the fortitude of an angel. She says that she shall never think well of anybody again, and one cannot wonder at it, and being so deceived, meeting with such ingratitude where so much kindness had been shown, so much confidence had been placed, It was quite out of the benevolence of her heart that she had asked these young women to her house, merely because she thought they deserved some attention, were harmless, well-behaved girls, and would be pleasant companions, for otherwise we both wished very much to have invited you and Mary Ann to be with us, while while your kind friend was there, was attending her daughter, and now to be so rewarded, I wish with all my poor heart, says Fanny in her affectionate way, that we had asked your sisters instead of them. Here he stopped to be thanked, which was being done, he went on. What poor Mrs. Ferris has suffered when Fanny first broke it to her is not to be described. While she, with the truest affection, has been planning a most eligible connection for him, was it to be supposed that he could all the time be secretly engaged to another person? Such a suspicion could never have entered into her head. If she suspected any preposition anywhere else, it could not have been in that quarter. There, to be sure, said she, I might have thought myself safe. She was quite in agony. We consulted together, however, as to what should be done, and at last she determined to send for Edward. He came, but I am sorry to relate what ensued. All that Mrs. Ferris could say to make him put an end to the engagement, assisted too, as you well may suppose by my arguments and Fanny's entreaties, was to have no avail duty affection everything was disregarded i never thought edward so stubborn so unfeeling before his mother explained to him her liberal designs in case of his marrying miss morton told him he would settle on settle him on the norfolk estate which clear of land tax brings in a good thousand a year offered even when matters grew desperate to make it 1200 and in opposition to this if he still persisted in this low connection presented him with the certain penury that must attend the match his own thousand pounds she protested should be his all she would never see him again and so far as she would be affording him the smallest assistance that if it were to enter into any profession with a view of better support she would do it all in her power to prevent her his advancing into it here marianne in an ecstasy of indignation clapped her hands together and cried gracious god can this be possible well may you wonder marianne replied her brother her brother at this obstinacy in which he could resist such arguments as these your exclamation is very natural Marianne was going to retort, but she remembered her promises and forbore. All this, however, he continued, was urged in vain. Edward said very little, but what he did say was in the most determined manner. Nothing should prevail on him to give up his engagement. He would stand to it, cost him what it might. Then, cried mrs Jennings with blunt sincerity, no longer able to be silent, He has acted like an honest man. I beg your pardon, Mr. Dashwood, but if he had done otherwise, I should have thought him a rascal. I have some little concern in the business, as well as yourself, for Lucy Steele is my cousin, and I believe there is not a better kind of girl in the world, nor one who more deserves a good husband. John Dashwood was greatly astonished, but his nature was calm, not open to provocation, and he never wished to offend anybody, especially anybody of good fortune. He therefore replied without any resentment. I would by no means speak disrespectfully of any relation of yours, madam. Miss Lucy Steele is, I dare say, a very deserving young woman. But in the present case, you know, the connection must be impossible. And to have entered into a secret engagement with a young man under her uncle's care, the son of a woman especially of such a large fortune as Mrs. Ferris, is perhaps altogether a little extraordinary. In short, I do not mean to reflect upon the behavior of any person whom you have a regard for, Mrs. Jennings. We all wish her extremely happy, and Mrs. Ferris's conduit through the whole, con- conduct through the whole has been such a, in every contentious good mother, like in like circumstances would adopt. It has been dignified and liberal. Edward has drawn his own lot, and I fear it will be a bad one. Marianne sighed out of her similar apprehension, and Eleanor's heart wrung for the feelings of Edward while braving his mother's threats for a woman who could not reward him. Well, sir, said Mrs. Jennings, and how did it end? I'm sorry to say, ma'am, in a most unhappy rupture. Edward is dismissed forever from his mother's notice. He left her home yesterday, but where he has gone or whether he is still in town, I do not know, for we, of course, can make no inquiry. Poor young man, and what is to become of him? What indeed, ma'am? It is a melancholy consideration born to the prospect of such affluence. I cannot conceive a situation more deplorable. The interest of two thousand pounds, how can a man live on it? And when is that to be added to the recollection as he might for his own folly within three months have been in the receipt of two thousand? Five hundred a year for Miss Morton has thirty thousand pounds. I cannot picture to myself a more wretched condition. We must all feel for him, and the more so, because it is totally out of our power to assist him. Poor young man, cried Mrs. Jennings. I am sure he should be very welcome to bed and board at my house, and so I would tell him if I could see him. It is not fit that he should be living about on his own charge now at lodgings and taverns. Eleanor's heart thanked her for such a kindness toward Edward, though she could not forbear smiling in the form of it. If only he would have done as well by himself, said Miss said john dashwood as all his friends were disposed to do by him he might now have been in his proper situation and would have wanted for nothing but as it is it must be out of any one's power to assist him and there is one thing more preparing against him which must be worse than all his mother has determined with a very natural kind of spirits to settle that estate upon robert immediately which might have been edward's on proper conditions i left her this morning with her lawyer talking over the business Well said Mrs. Jennings, that is her revenge. Everybody has a way of their own, but I don't think mine would be to make one son independent because another has plagued me. Marianne got up and walked about the room. Can anything be more galling to the spirit of a man, continued John, than to see his younger brother in possession of an estate which might have been his own? Poor Edward. I feel for him sincerely. A few minutes more spent in the same kind of effusion concluded his visit. And with repeated assurances to his sister that he really believed there was no material danger in Fanny's indisposition and that they need not therefore be uneasy about it, he went away, having left the three ladies unanimous in their sentiments on the present occasion, as far at least as it regarded Mrs. Ferris' conduct, the Dashwoods and Edwards. Marianne's indignation burst forth as soon as he quitted the room, and her vehemence took reserve impossible in Eleanor and unnecessary in Miss Jennings. They all joined in a very spirited critique upon the party.